Judges chapter 2. You can be seated tonight as we read the scripture. Look at verse number 6. The Bible says, And when Joshua had let the people go, the children of Israel went, every man unto his inheritance to possess the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being an hundred and ten years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnath, Harris, in the Mount of Ephraim, on the north side of the hill, Gaash. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers... Look at the rest of this verse, one of the saddest verses in the Bible. And there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt And followed other gods of the gods of the people that were round about them and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. Verse 13, and they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth and the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel and he delivered them into the hands of spoilers and spoiled them and he sold them into the hands of of their enemies round about so that they could not any longer stand before their enemies whithersoever they went out the hand of the Lord was against them for evil as the Lord had said and as the Lord had sworn unto them and they were greatly distressed what we have in this passage is the story about Israel's greatest generation giving birth and raising one of Israel's worst generations. In just one generation of time, Israel went from conquering their promised land to being in slavery and having the angry hand of God against them. Why? Because Christianity and all of its effect in our families and our churches can be lost in just one generation. Just one generation. The title of the sermon this evening is this, Reaching the Next Generation. Lord, tonight as we talk about how to prevent this from happening to our church, and Lord, even to the greater New England region, I pray God you give us great attention tonight. Give me strength to preach truth. And Lord, I pray that hearts would be moved tonight through the preaching. May we be stirred unto good works. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The turn of a new year is a great opportunity to both look backward and forward. First, let's look back to the year 2023. We had another great year of church outreach. Visitors flowed onto this property. We saw a surge of growth in the early part of the year. We saw many, many saved. The baptismal waters were stirred regularly and new families were added to our church over the past 12 months. Uh, uh, Furthermore, we were able to renovate this room and greatly improve the quality of our live stream. Live stream. And on March 5th of this past year, we officially began our church's Spanish ministry. This new ministry already uh, is up and running and consistently sees 35 in their services each week. Some weeks a little bit more, other weeks a, a little bit less, but a consistent 35 uh, folks who love White Oak Baptist Church are devoted to White Oak Baptist Church, are giving toward the mission of White Oak Baptist Church and have made this place their home. And uh, we are grateful for Brother Ordonez and his wife Kelly and their leadership right here in our church. And we're excited to see how God is going to use that ministry uh, to move on and move ahead in 2024. Someone once said this. In fact, write this down uh, somewhere on your notes there. They said this, these two words, vision 
leaks. Vision leaks. What's that mean? I can give you a vision, but the truth is, a month from now, or two months from now, or six months from now, you're likely to forget what that was. You're likely to forget what we're trying to do. And so we need to repeat on a regular basis what our vision for the future is, what our goal is, what our purpose is. And so tonight I want to, by way of introduction, give you the mission of our church wrapped up in three bullet points. So here they are. Write these down. First of all, it is the fellowship of the brethren. The mission of our church is the fellowship of the brethren. Psalm 133 verse 1 says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Praise the Lord for our Spanish ministry. Praise the Lord for it. Let me be clear. They are not their own church. They are a ministry of this church. They're just as much a part of White Oak Baptist Church as you are. And we are thankful uh, for them. And uh, remember back to the Tower of Babel. Remember when they were trying to build this giant tower that reached up to the heaven? And God reached down and He mixed up their languages and there was one common language and God mixed up the languages and what happened when He mixed up the languages? People divided and in that division they spread out all over the world and we know that language brings about division. Can I say that when you start a ministry that speaks a second language within a church, there's going to be a natural Divide. Can I tell you that God does not want division in a church? He wants unity in a church. In 2024, we're going to work very hard uh, to bring about as much unity between our English ministry and our Spanish ministry as possible. This coming calendar year, all of our business meetings, uh, assuming we have a Spanish speaker in the room that doesn't speak English, will be translated by Brother Ordonez right here on the platform. And all of our Lord's Supper observances this next calendar year will be done in English and in Spanish. And Brother Ordonez will help us during that so that we can have a time together where we remember the Lord's great sacrifice for us. Next week, we'll pass out our church calendar. It's ready. I could have printed it out and handed it out today, but with the volume of information being distributed mixed with a snowstorm, I decided to give that out next week. On that calendar, there are lots of events in the font green that will highlight those events that our ministries will do together. One such event will be March the 3rd. Write that date down, March 3rd. March 3rd, we will celebrate one year of our Spanish ministry, and uh, we will have them all together in the service here, we'll sing songs. Uh, uh, congregational singing will be done in both languages, English and in Spanish. Uh, the entire sermon will be translated from English into Spanish. And then afterwards, we'll head upstairs and we'll enjoy some good old Spanish food as we celebrate the one-year anniversary of that ministry. All throughout the year, we have planned fellowships. Why? Because the church is the place where you should come to make friends. Some of you here, I'm going to show you, tell you what you do. You slip in late and you leave early. Some of you did it tonight. Amen? You slipped in late and you leave early. And uh, when someone says hello, you make it as awkward as possible. Right? You don't want to talk to people. You don't... Listen, you need church... To help you. The Bible says that uh, as iron sharpeneth iron, so a friend sharpeneth the countenance of his friends. I believe that's Proverbs 14.1. And uh, we ought to sharpen each other. Amen? You're getting sharpened somewhere, either for the good or for the bad. We come to church in order to be able to fellowship with each other in order to sharpen one another in the Lord. So, the fellowship of the brethren. Let me give you the second bullet point of the mission of the church. What is the mission of the church? Notice next, the fullness, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Fullness of the Holy Spirit. Look at Acts chapter 2. If you would turn over to Acts chapter number 2. 
and look at verse number 1. We see an unusual event where the Holy Spirit descended for the first time and uh, it was a spectacular event. This is not how it takes place anymore. This is the one and only time that this has ever happened. But notice that leading up to Acts 2, the disciples got together in a room and they confessed their faults to one another. They got their hearts right with one another. They were all in one accord. They were in unity. They were in harmony. They were prayed up together. And look what happened. Look at verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come... That's a, that's a, a celebration, a, one of the five celebrations there in Israel. The day of Pentecost was fully come. They were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. And it sat upon each of them. And they were all, read that next phrase, filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were filled with the Holy Ghost. Ephesians 5.18, if you know it, say it with me. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be what, church? Filled with the Spirit. Filled with the Spirit. Church ought to be a place where we come and we are filled with the Spirit. The Spirit of God takes over our heart, takes over our mind, and presses us and pushes us to be the very best version of ourselves possible. He is busy uh, sanctifying us. What does that mean? He's uh, setting us apart for a holy work and a holy cause. He's leading us out of fleshly behavior and He's leading us into spiritual, righteous behavior. I cannot think of a better way to be filled with the Holy Spirit than to spend time in prayer. Cannot think of a better way to be filled with the Spirit than to spend time in prayer. Jesus said there about the temple, He said, My house shall be called a house of prayer. And I believe that our church ought to be a house of prayer. As I stated a little bit ago, we're going to begin a men's prayer meeting every Saturday here at 4 p.m. Every Saturday morning, we'll meet right here in the auditorium. We'll take a prayer request, and then we'll spend some time in prayer. One of the men in the room right now challenged me with this some time back, and I've been praying to God about when the right time to start this would be. I believe now is the time for us to begin this. I, again, I understand not every man's going to be able to come to this. Some of you are going to be able to come a good chunk of the time, but not every week. I understand that. But whether there's two of us here or 20 of us here, we're going to gather, we're going to kneel, we're going to pray, and we're going to ask God to bless the services in the day to follow. We're going to ask God to bless the program of our church. Hey, so the songwriter said it this way, All is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One come down. And church, I don't want us just gather and play a game. I don't want us just to gather and look nice. I don't want us just to gather and know how to hold a Bible in our lap or, or, or carry the Word of God or, 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 or talk some spiritual jargon. I want us to be able to, 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 to meet and know the Holy Spirit of God each week gathers with us. He moves in and out of these pews. He works in our hearts. He's moving us to righteousness. And when Jesus comes back, we're ready to see Him because we're filled with the Spirit of God. This needs to be a church where the Spirit of God uh, uh, is, is alive and real. The Bible signifies the Holy Spirit as a dove. And one thing is true about a dove is it can be easily shooed away. Easily shooed away. Boy, a dove circles its landing place for quite some time and finds that place of peace and then lands. But boy, it can be easily shooed away. And the last thing we want at this church is for the Holy Spirit of God to be shooed away. Across America today, Ichabod is written above the, uh, many of the doors of the church. The glory of the Lord hath departed. The Spirit of the Lord, if I could take liberties, hath departed Write this quote down. A church that prays together stays together. A church that prays together stays together. Hey, ladies, is there someone in this church you don't like very much? Probably. Probably. You know, I can help you fix that problem. 
Find them, get on your knees, and regularly pray with them. People that pray together stay together. Hey, men, is there another man in this church you don't like very much? Maybe you think he's cocky or arrogant. Maybe you think he's egotistical. The church that prays together stays together. What if you were to go put your arm around him and say, I want to pray with you. I want to pray for you. What is the mission of the church? It is the fellowship of the brethren. It is the fullness of the Holy Spirit. One more. It is the furtherance of the gospel. It is the furtherance of the gospel. Way back in 2019, we started our Great Commission Saturdays based out of Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Over the last four years, we've trained close to two dozen people on how to lead a soul to Christ. We followed up on hundreds of visitors. We've knocked on thousands of doors. We've distributed in excess of 10,000 door hangers and mailed out even more postcards on uh, or every door direct mailers straight out of our church's mailbox. And the church has spent in excess of $15,000 every year for the last several years just on materials alone to get the gospel out to our local community. And th- those efforts will continue into this year. This summer, we are going to try something a little bit different. We're going to introduce a new outreach ministry called For Outreach. You say, well, what is For Outreach? Instead of having you come here on a Saturday morning and uh, do uh, all of the things that we have going on, uh, while the daylight is out longer uh, on a either Tuesday evening or Thursday evening, uh, we're going to have a uh, four different locations spread around the greater area here. One in Stratford, one in Milford, and uh, we have one up in the valley and uh, one in another location that we'll decide. And there will be somebody in a coffee shop parking lot. They'll have a box and that box will have visits and it will have maps uh, where you can do uh, door knocking or if you want to just do canvassing. And on your way home from work, you'll go to the one that's closest to your home. You'll pick up a map. You'll pick up a visit. You'll make that visit and then you'll head on home. There will be no reason or need to come into the church building. You'll head to that closest location, meet that brother and go out and make those visits. And then you'll bring the, uh, the, the, the paperwork back Back into church or you'll text it in uh, after you're done. And this will enable us uh, to reach out to those who visit on a Sunday, say on a Tuesday, and follow up with them and make sure uh, that... um Make sure that they're uh, able to um, know that our church loves them and cares about them. We'll be launching that. Uh, we'll be doing a trial run with this uh, shortly after or right after Easter Sunday with all of our visitors on Easter. And then we'll be launching it full-blown in the summer. Um, well, our passage tonight, let's turn back to our passage tonight and let's talk about our youth. Let's talk about our teenagers and uh, the Lord knows that I had a hard time cutting things out. I so much I want to say tonight, and uh, my, my mind and heart wants to go in a hundred directions. But let's get right back to the, the passage tonight. In the next 15 or 20 minutes, I want to challenge you uh, on this idea of reaching the next generation. Let's look at three main thoughts. Number one, you're taking notes tonight. Write this down. Notice the word cycles. Cycles. All right. Judges chapter two, we find the death of Joshua. Go back just a couple of pages with me to Joshua chapter 24 and look at verse 15. Joshua 24, 15. Oh, this is a popular verse, probably the most popular verse in the book of Joshua and one we see on walls of families, at least a portion of this verse. Look at verse 15. Joshua is challenging the Israelites. He says, and if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the God of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. Look at here. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua's getting ready to pass away. He told all the Israelites what they needed to do. They needed to choose to serve the Lord. And uh, to give this generation a credit, their success was that they kept their word. They served the Lord all the way to the grave. They did not sputter. They did not stutter. They did not fail. But where they did fail was that they did not effectively reach 
the next generation. One of the saddest passages in the Bible is found right here in Judges 2. Look down at verse number 10. And also all that generation were gathered under their fathers. And there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did what? They did evil in the sight of the Lord and they served Balaam. Balaam is fornication. They forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt. Now again here, we're going to talk about cycles. And as the book of Judges goes, this was the first of many cycles. While many generations would uh, learn to serve God, they would uh, have to learn the hard way in part because their hearts were not reached and their hearts were not connected to God's by their parents and their parents' generation. What was the ugly cycle that the Israelites experienced throughout the book of Judges? Well, here it is. Rebellion from God, rebuke and slavery, and then repentance and then restoration. Only to have the next generation rebel from the Lord, be rebuked and fall into slavery, and then repent, and then go back to restoration. Generation after generation after generation, they would finally get it right, they would live out the rest of their years, and then the next generation of kids would grow up, and they would fall into sin, and God would send them into slavery, and then they would repent, and then God would restore them, only to see it happen all over again. Are we capable of seeing This same thing happened here at White Oak Baptist Church and in the Stratford area. I'm sad to say that on some level we already have. We've seen lots of children grow up in this church and they're not in church today. They've given up on the Lord. Mom and dad, faithful, love God. Some, Some of them are still faithful to this church here. But where are... Our children. Where are our children? Here's the quote I want you to write down. Fill in the blanks. My greatest fear is not that I will fail God, but that I will fail my children and they will in turn fail God. My greatest fear is not that I will fail God, but that I will fail my children and they will in turn fail God. Hey, you know what? I hope I'm in church when I'm 80. But you know what I want more than that? I want my children to be in church when I'm 80. And I want my grandchildren to be in church when I'm 80. And if I happen to have great-grandchildren, I want them to be in church when I'm 80. Some of you in here this evening, you need to take a good, long, hard look at what you're modeling for your children. Your unfaithfulness to the Lord and your unfaithfulness to church. I know you love God. I don't question that. But you're handing shaky ground to your children. You come to church and you act one way and you go home and your children know that you're someone totally different at home. That is the fastest way to make sure your children turn their back on God one day. I'm not here to throw a stone at anybody. But here's what I'm trying to tell you. Your number one duty in life, mom and dad, your number one duty in life, church member, say, I don't have kids. You are still a cog in the wheel of this church that's helping to raise the next generation. Your behavior matters. Your behavior matters. The children of this church, whether you have kids or not, they look up to you. And when you're faithful, that makes a statement in their life. When you give up on God, that also makes a statement in their life. My greatest fear is not that I will fail God. My greatest fear is that I will fail my children and they will fail God. And I will fail your children and they will fail God. Over the last seven years, God has brought young families into our church. The reality is that needs to keep happening. We need families of all living generations in our church we stop reaching families with young children, we cease to reach the community. 
I challenge each one of you here tonight that has an influence over our children's ministry, whether you work a bus route, or you help in the nursery, or you help in the three to five year old department, or you help in the children's ministry, or you help in our teen ministry. It's all hands on deck. It's all hands on deck. We need to raise these children to love God with all their heart. Cycles. The last thing I want to see is a cycle of my children rebelling, facing a punishing hand of God, and seeing harshness as a result of their choices. Number two, notice the word cultures. Cultures. Now, if I could be a little bit more lighthearted for just a few minutes, every generation is guilty of believing that their subculture is better than everyone else. Each generation has its own Many culture. How many of you here were either children or teenagers in the 60s? Would you raise your hand? Let's go with teenagers. Teenagers in some portion of the 60s. All right. Do you remember bell bottoms and incense, long hair, free love, and psychedelic rock and roll? All right. You remember that era? All right. Any 70s teenagers? Raise your hand if you are a 70s. Teenager. Okay, handful of you. All right, here we go. People back then wore jumpsuits, turtlenecks, hot pants, and everything in between. All right, this was the decade of sage, orange, shag carpet, and lime green kitchens. How many remember that era? All right, I don't. Praise God. All right, I'm thankful. How about the 80s? Any 80s teenagers in here tonight? All right, lots of 80s teenagers. Here we go. This was the era of Walkmans, slap bracelets, the Reading Rainbow. Remember the the Reading Rainbow? Anyway, uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and Teddy Rupkin. All right. Uh, Also the era of the stereo and the big Afro hairdos. All right. How about the 90s? Any 90s? That would be my era. Any 90s teenagers here? Okay. Dial-up internet. You remember that? Dial-up internet. The decade of the pagers. Remember the pagers? Uh, Some people, you know, if they looked important, they had two or three pagers going at one time, right? Um, How about um, star 6-9 before you made a phone call? You remember that? Dialing star six nine to make it cheaper, right? If you had to make a long distance call, all the Y two K talk. You remember the Y two K? All the white, all the world is gonna come to an end. How many of you, be honest? How many of you were a little bit fearful going into the year Y two K? All right, some of you in here are not telling the truth. I think uh, Beanie Babies, Beanie Babies, the introduction of the Furby. And then uh, here's my favorite memory from the 1990s, blowing into a Nintendo cartridge. Amen. You know, they have proven that didn't do anything, but it sure seemed like it did, didn't it? How about the 2000s? Anybody here, teenager in the 2000s, between 2000 and 2010? All right, your teen years touched that. I would fit that a little bit here. Okay, flip-flops iPods changing over to iPhones and Pokemon. That's about all I could come up with, all right? And then the 2010s, that would be some of our teenagers uh, here, maybe some of our young adults, the 2010s. All right, we had Despicable Me. Streaming services became a thing. YouTube really took off big. And then uh, we, it, was the, it, was the, it was the decade of celebrity presidents with Obama and Trump. They seemed to all steal the show. Now, everyone cheers for what they're most familiar with. The truth is that some of these things carry moral value, but most of these things do not. If we're honest, most of us don't want to accept things that are different. And the only reason is because they're different. We reject different. How about church culture? The 60s through the 90s saw a church culture in the independent Baptist world that was fast growing. I know because I was a part of it. I was a part of a church 
in uh, Mississippi that ran 700 plus every week. And then I moved to Alabama and that church went from just a little town of 12,000. They ran like 300 every week. Understand when you run, when you have 12,000 in city and you have 300 in church, that's a large church. And then I moved to Baltimore and you know what I saw? I saw a massive church that went from 500 up to where now that church now runs over 2,000. A lot of that growth happened right before my eyes. And what happens is uh, now our churches are not growing anymore. Clothing changes. So does the, uh, just, uh, just like clothing changes, so does the way the next generation dresses for church. Kitchen designs change. So does the decorating of a church building. Music evolves, or in some case, devolves. So does church music. There are three attitudes older people have toward younger people's culture. Uh, either they embrace them and try, sometimes too hard, to fit in, or they accept them but don't join, or they outright reject change. Everybody hear what I'm about to say. Everybody hear what I'm about to say. We expect far too little out of our children anymore. Far too little out of our children anymore. The Bible is filled with stories of youngsters accomplishing all kinds of great feats for the Lord. We have to stop talking about the next generation as though they're a bunch of lazy losers. Some years ago, my mother was venting to us children at the dinner table about how terrible millennials are. And she went on and on and on talking about how terrible millennials are. My little brother Jonathan sat at the table quietly and he listened to her rant for quite some time. Finally, he interrupted or interjected with a question to my mother. And I think this is a very good question. He said, And which generation raised the millennials? Who raised the millennials that are so awful? Who's raising Gen Z that is so terrible? Proverbs 22.6, listen to this word, train. Train up a child in the way he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. Everybody look up here. Folks, I did not make it to 40 and end up here in the pastorate loving God with all my heart by some mistake. I was trained, trained, I was trained by many people to be the way that I am. Many people got me to where I am today. The institution of my home shaped me. The institution of the churches I uh, attended greatly shaped me. The institution of the Christian schools that I attended helped shape me. The institution of the Christian camps that I was a part of from junior camp all the way up to being a counselor at camp in my adult years, they helped shape me. The institution of my Bible college helped to shape me. Put the next uh, 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 slide up there for me. Here's the quote I want you to take down. Institutions shape the next generation. Institutions shape the next generation. What institutions do you have your kids involved in? The very, very first institution that shapes a child is the institution of the home. You cannot just turn your children over to the church or turn your child over to a Christian school or send your kid off to some Christian camp and then do nothing at home and expect it to all work out. It starts at home with you. And if you're not going to do your part to raise your kids, don't expect the rest of the institutions to get it done for you. However, the rest of these institutions that I just listed off a moment ago very well can come along and assist and aid and help get your child to where they ought to be. If I'm honest tonight, when I got to be 14, 15, 16 years old, I got a little tired of hearing my mom and dad tell me what to do. But when their voice grew tired, you know whose voice didn't? My youth pastors. 
When their voice grew tired, you know whose didn't? My school teachers. When their voices grew tired, you know whose voices didn't? The other men and women in the church who I put myself around. My bus director in the bus ministry that I served in. Uh, the choir director. His voice didn't grow tired. And the institutions shaped me. I went to uh, uh, camp sometimes and didn't always have the best attitude. But I'd get under the preaching of some preacher there at camp. And the voice of that preacher would Get me going back in the right direction. Now, as parents, what we want to do is just kind of stick our head in the sand and pretend as though the world is just going to raise my kids and somehow they'll end up growing up and loving God. Oh no, my friend, institutions shape the next generation and you must be intentional which ones you allow to do that. You be careful about where your kids go to school. You be careful about uh, who you allow around your children. You be careful what your children watch on TV. You be careful with these things because we need institutions that raise our children. Number one, cycles. Number two, cultures. Number three, and we'll finish right here. Notice, changes. Changes. And I'm getting ready to present to our church uh, a ministry that I hope changes the landscape of Christianity in New England for generations to come. I know that I've preached a long time today, and I know that I've thrown a lot of things out to you tonight, but I want you to push all that out, and just for a few moments, I want you to give me your heart, and I want you to understand that what I'm about to lay out for you very well could change New England and bring revival to New England. Proverbs 29:18 where there is no vision the people perish he that keepeth the law happy is he uh, someone once said if you do what you've always done then you'll get what you've always got let me share with you all a perspective that you probably don't have in your day-to-day life many of you are aware of what's going on in your field of work on a broader scale such as the case for me I'm a pastor I talk to other pastors here in New England. Are you listening tonight? Please listen very closely to what I'm about to say. The state of Christianity in New England is bleak. I can't state how bleak it is. I talk to pastors who pastor churches that believe like this one, and many of them are closing their doors never to be opened again. And do you know why? Because pastors get older and they cannot find young men to come in behind and pastor their churches. We have a dearth of pastors in New England. An absence of pastors. Children are not growing up and going to Bible colleges and learning to be pastors and taking on churches in New England. Now, I believe the problem is larger than New England, but listen, we're going to start right here where we live. Right now, right now, I know of three churches where the pastor is over the age of 75 and in poor health, and they cannot find another man to take the church to pastor it. I was talking to evangelist John Barnes about this problem on the phone some time back, and he was telling me how hard it was for him to find a man to come pastor his church so he could go into evangelism. I said to Brother Barnes, I said, this problem is not going to get fixed overnight. Our children are growing up in our churches and there's no push. There's no incentive. There's no uh, a plan to help get them off the couch from playing Fortnite or Minecraft and into the church pulpit and ministry when they get older. Now, I want to just insert this right here, and I don't mean to toot my own horn on any level. So please don't take what I'm about to say out of context. White Oak Baptist Church, do you understand how blessed you are to have a pastor that loves God that's only 40 years old? There aren't very many Richard Lejeunes walking around New England ready to step in the pulpits. My great concern is that in the next 20 years, when I reach a point where I'm ready to take the baton and hand it to the next person, that there won't be that person to hand it to. And White Oak Baptist Church will just be another church that shriveled up and closed its doors. You see, we want to live in the present. 
And we want to think it's great now, it will always be great. It won't be great unless we plan to keep it that way. Well, Pastor Lejeune, what do you propose? I propose that we begin an institute in the summer that gets teenagers uh, to work together as teams to begin doing ministry work where they love God and they serve God. And this is what we call SMITE New England. The SMITE is an acronym that stands for this, Summer Missionary Institute of Training and Evangelism. I grew up going to SMITE down in Louisiana. And as a young man, I was given a wordless book. This is a book with no words in it. It has five colors, gold, a dark page, a red page, a white page, and the outside cover is green. And I was taught how to lead children to the Lord with that booklet. I was given a a, a missionary story. And I was taught at the age of 14, 13, 14, how to go through and teach a missionary story to children. And then I was handed a Bible story book. And I was taught how to teach Bible stories to children. I was taught how to lead singing with children. I was taught how to interact with them. And then I'd go out in the afternoon with other teenagers and I would get a group of boys and girls together. I'd sit them down under a tree and we would put on a backyard Bible club. And and then that evening we would sit down and we would have preaching, the finest of preaching in the area. And our hearts were challenged to do right for the Lord. This is something I grew up under. And I praise God for it. And uh, it is one of the big, big institutes that helped shape me into who I am today. Now, listen, I wish I could take every teenager in New England and put them on planes or and put them in cars and go all the way down to Louisiana and participate in the one they have down there every year. That is not practical. And so what I'm wanting to do is start this right here in New England beginning this summer. Missionary Mark Holmes has helped plant these uh, institutes for teenagers all over Africa. I say all over Africa, in several countries in Africa. And he's going to come and help our church partner, partner with our church to help us begin this here in New England. I've spoken with the pastor, pastors, uh, there's co-pastors at the Central Baptist Church in Southington, Connecticut. They've agreed to let us use their facilities to host the first Smite New England for teenagers on, uh, on these dates, July 14th through the 19th. We're going to begin in the next week or two sending out applications to churches and encouraging teenagers to come and learn how to do ministry. Here's what I happen to think. I happen to think that if we can get some teenagers together and we can use them to go preach the gospel to little boys and girls and see little boys and girls saved in a neighborhood and see these teenagers have some ministry success, then God very well may call some of them into church ministry and they may very well go and pastor some of these churches one day. One of them might grow up and pastor this church one day. When you say, well, Pastor Lejeune, what can I do to help with SMITE? Here's what you can do. First of all, save the date. Write those dates down. July 14th. That's a Sunday. July 14th through July 19th. at Central Baptist Church in Southington, Connecticut. There are people in Louisiana and Mississippi that are so excited about this. They're already taking time off work and booking hotels and planning on giving up of their time and their money in order to come up here and help us make the first one a success. I received a text this week from just a man who attends Smite down in Louisiana uh, who's a youth pastor. He wants to come up and help us get this one up and going. Save the date and begin to pray. God has laid it on my heart to start this new ministry here in New England. We have a target of 30 teenagers from New England to attend the first uh, smite. If you have teenagers, Pastor Andrew will be working with your teenagers and encouraging the right ones to come. Teenagers that are ministry-minded and want to love the Lord. I need you to pray for teenagers to come. I need you to pray for children to attend these Bible clubs and hear the gospel and get saved. Some of you can get involved. You can get involved. We'll need support staff that week. People to help with the kitchen and the cleanup and picking up trash and making sure things are in the right place. Uh, maybe you can come out, come up and help out in the kitchen. Maybe you can come up and help out with the cleanup crew. Maybe you can come up and be a counselor for a week. And that would need to be the right fit. And we would work with you on that. Just because you volunteer doesn't mean it's guaranteed. But we need volunteers to help us with this. One day, 
One day, I want us to look across New England and I want us to see churches that are thriving because teenage boys and girls began to get training on church ministry when they were 13, 14, and 15 years old. And somewhere along the way, God said, you know what? You're having some success now. I can use you full time in my work. And our church gets to be the church that launches that. I need your prayers. I need your support. Some of you can give toward it. We're going to try to have this thing pay for itself. We'll see how it goes. We're thankful to Brother Townsley and his ministry up there at Central. They've agreed to let us use the property free of charge. There will be other expenses involved. Be in prayer about how you can be involved and help with this. One day... I want to hand this church to a young man who is much younger than me, but a man who loves God and His Word just as passionate as I do. A young man who is devoted to loving his wife and his family and this church. Men like this do not grow on trees. Men like this are here Because churches, with great intentionality, raise them to be that way. We must be intentional. If we're going to raise up another generation of young people that loves God. And I want to ask you tonight, will you do your part? If you're mom or dad here tonight, you are in the trenches. You have the calling. Uh, First and foremost, you're on the front lines. You might be here tonight and your kids are raised. You might be here tonight and be single with no kids. There's still a calling for you. There's a calling for you to be faithful. There's a calling for you to love God. There's a calling for you to model what's right. There's a calling for you to pray. There's a calling for you to be involved. There's a calling for you to encourage. May each of us do our part. Let's not be like the Israelites. One generation removed. Well, we've forgotten about God. And now we're giving it all up. Too many people have sacrificed too much to see White Oak Baptist Church get where it is. To see it go the way of compromise or the way of its doors being shut just a generation from now. Will you do your part? Let's reach the next generation. Heads bowed. Eyes closed this evening. Lord God, we need your presence. We need your power. We need you to do some supernatural things. Lord God, my prayer is that one day this church will speak of divine, supernatural hand of God that did some incredible things. Lord, the time is now for us to yield. The time is now for us to work. The time is now for us to sacrifice and give. The time is now for us to go. Lord Jesus, when you come back, may you find us hard at work. Raising up another generation who can carry the baton forward. Oh Lord God, please stir hearts tonight. May we be a church that's unified in prayer. Lord, I pray that over the next ten years, we would see great and mighty things which we could not have possibly known. Oh, Lord God, please stir our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Here's the invitation this evening. If you want to come and bend a knee and ask God to about something specific you heard in the sermon tonight, then that's great. But I'd like to encourage many of you to come and bend a knee and just pray for the future of our church. Pray that God would help you to be a part of this church for many years to come. That God would use you to be part of the army of believers, the body of believers that moves the work of the Lord forward. When God works in your heart individually, I pray you'll come forward and bend a knee and ask God to help you to do your part. Let's stand to our feet. The piano's playing. The altar's open. Will you come and bend a knee this evening and pray?
Lord God, help us tonight to take what we've heard. Lord, I know our hearts are full. Lord, help us to leave here tonight and devote ourselves to be the men and women who you called us to be. Lord God, may we be busy doing your work, walking with you, trusting you, following you. Lord, may White Oak Baptist Church and this new ministry we endeavor to start be the beginning of something mighty. Lord God, use our church. Help us to reach the next generation. May our teenagers devote their hearts to you even now. May they determine that when they're adults, they're going to be faithful to whatever it is you want them to do and whoever it is you want them to be. Lord God, help us to raise them up in such a way to aid them and encourage them in that direction. Be with Brother Andres as he leads our children's ministry. Pastor Andrew, their wives, Lord, as they lead, Lord, uh, their, the teen ministry. And we pray, God, that you'd give them great wisdom. Give each parent here of a child and a teenager, Lord, the consistency of heart to live the model of the Christian life in such a way to where our children will grow up and love you because they see an army of people who do so. Oh, Lord God, be with the rest of our time together this evening, although, although brief it is. In Jesus' name, amen.